Well, good morning, and uh, to those who are joining us on Facebook Live, good morning to you all as well. Sorry we're starting a little late today. Uh, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, we will actually be, this is going to be our first communion Sunday in months, and so although those of you who are with us on Facebook Live are not able to take communion with us, what I do encourage you to do is if you have bread and juice or something uh, as, as such, a cracker and a drink of water even, you can at least take part with us spiritually and uh, be with us in the moment when we take communion. Um, you'll notice that we are doing things a bit differently, understandably so, but um, that will mainly be affecting those who are here today, and we've already discussed uh, that. Um, in terms of announcements, uh, most of you will probably notice that uh, you'll notice next Sunday that the service will be entirely online. So those of you who have been worshiping with us online, it's not going to really change much for you all. The Sunday after that, we will be having someone fill in, and uh, my understanding is we will still go ahead with recording it. But you will see someone different on that Sunday up here, so it will be a little bit uh, different. But I will be back on the last Sunday in, uh, in October, so I'm taking a couple weeks off for vacation. Aside from that, there aren't really any other announcements to make, so let's open with a word of prayer. Most gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people, as we are gathered into your house. We thank you for the gift of technology as we are able to worship as an even larger congregation on this World Communion Sunday, larger than just those who are able to be gathered here in person. Holy God, we pray and ask that you would be with us in our worship, that it would be pleasing to you, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We just pray your guidance be with us this day, and that these will be your words for us to learn from today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Please uh, join me for our call to worship. Around the world, people gather to break bread and pour wine. We gather with them in heart and mind. Around the world, the broken body is made whole. As part of that body, we join its unity. Around the world, the banquet of God is prepared for the table. We who share in the banquet come eagerly to be fed. Let us worship together. Let us share God's bounty.
We come to our time this morning as we sing the next song. Uh, let us prepare our hearts to share our joys and concerns with God. Uh, we serve a God who hears us when we pray, who loves us and cares for us. And we can come to him with those things that weigh us down. Uh, I don't want to mention names uh, when we are online, but we do have uh, members that are very sick right now. And so uh, please keep those who are sick and struggling uh, in prayer that they might uh, experience God's healing. And uh, just pray for the families of those who are sick as well. Uh, one name that I can mention, uh, and I feel like I should mention, I'm compelled as a Christian to mention is that we should be in prayer for our president. As we have found out this past weekend, he's gotten sick. Uh, and whether you agree with him politically or not, we as Christians uh, should pray for all who are sick, even those that we may either agree or disagree with politically. And also, uh, anyone who can think back to times of when President Reagan was injured or when John F. Kennedy was shot. Um, it doesn't do anybody any good in the country when our president is not well. Uh, again, whether you agree with him or not. And so uh, we need to be praying for our president in this time that he has a quick and swift uh, recovery. Uh, but again, please be keeping in prayer those in our churches that are sick and struggling right now. Uh, they need your they need God's healing. Sometimes that healing doesn't always look the way we like it to, but they need their heal His healing. And the families of those who are sick need to experience God's peace. Uh, a couple of joys. Uh, on behalf of the church, uh, a couple of joys we do have. Uh, we sang about it earlier. Uh, we celebrated uh, Pastor Michael's family, along with us, celebrated his birthday this past week. Uh, so we have a birthday card for Pastor Michael. And also October has always been considered Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, probably more than ever, uh, we appreciate our pastor. So on behalf of the church, happy birthday Thank and you. happy Pastor Appreciation Month. Thank you so much. Appreciate that.
Most gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people. We thank you for the blessings of your love that you have given us. We thank you for the beauty of your creation that we can marvel in this time of autumn as the trees begin to change. We praise you and we thank you for the beauty that you have made. Lord, even in nature's time of going to sleep, you have designed it as such to create such vibrant, beautiful colors that anyone with a rational mind must look at the creation and realize that there is a creator, one who made and designed things to be beautiful. And gracious God, Lord, in spite of its beauty, there is much that is broken in our world. There are those who are sick and those who are hurting that need to experience your healing. Lord, all of those who are sick and hurting both in body, mind, and spirit, Lord, we lift them up to you, praying that you would touch them as you are the great physician who heals all ills. We lift up to you also the families of those who are struggling with decisions to make. We lift up to you the families who are grieving and struggling. We pray that your peace and comfort be with them. Gracious God, we lift up to you our doctors and our nurses, our military and our law enforcement, our healers, our peacekeepers and our peacemakers, and we pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches, we lift them up to you. Gracious God, we pray for our leaders in government, both in our state, nation, and throughout all the world, that you would give them wisdom from on high, that through them you might do your work and that you might bring blessing into the world. And we look forward to that great day when Jesus reigns as king, when heaven and earth are made one, and your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Gracious God, we pray for all of those who do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Father God, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you today and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your son Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we continue to pray to you this day the prayer that your son Jesus taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us break bread. 
This morning, since we are sharing communion for the first time in months, I chose to preach on the subject of communion. And I have a number of scriptures today. In fact, the scriptures almost uh, outnumber the sermon itself today. So, but um, we will have uh, four separate scriptures. And our longest one begins in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because... You have obeyed me. 
Our second scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declare long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Our third scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And lastly, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. 
John speaks and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. These last several months have been, well, crazy, to say the least. From the middle of March through the end of July, we were unable to have any kind of in-person worship. Finally, at the end of July, we were able to start worshiping together again. However, many have chosen to worship from home, which is very understandable under current circumstances. I feel that as a pastor that this has been a growing time for me. I've learned to be more humble and more receptive to submitting to God's plan rather than listening and insisting on my own. I've learned the foolishness of making promises that are not in my power to keep. With that being said, it is with great excitement and anticipation that we will finally begin to start having and celebrating Holy Communion within the framework of the life of the church, albeit a bit differently than we are used to. Regardless of the changes we have to make, this is a big thing for me and hopefully with you all as well. Communion ranks very highly with me in terms of its importance for a full, well-rounded worship experience. Communion is much more than just a piece of bread that we eat and a little sip of juice that we drink. When we take part in communion, we join in an act that crosses the divide of time and space and unites us with Christians everywhere, both past and present, and an act of faith that both honors the fulfillment of the covenant promised by God through Christ and anticipates that great day when the marriage of heaven and earth are made in the new creation as Jesus takes his place as King of kings and Lord of lords for all time. Especially on this World Communion Sunday, it is so important to me that we are able to share in communion again. Because of the importance of bringing communion back into the life of the church, I have chosen to preach on the meaning of communion and why it is so crucial to the Christian walk. It's one of really only two things that Jesus mandated and said to do. He gave us the ordinance of baptism. And then on the night that he was betrayed, he said, do this in remembrance of me. 
In order to understand communion, we need to understand the problem that it symbolically addresses. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the covenant between God and Abraham. This covenant, if you don't remember, when God made his promise that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation, he told Abraham to take several sacrificial animals and they were literally cut in two and set on opposite sides of each other, essentially with a path between the halves of the animals. And this may seem, seem horribly gory and nasty in our modern minds, but there's important symbolism here. There's, there have been studies and archaeological evidence that suggests that when a more powerful empire would come in and take in a smaller kingdom as a vassal state, in other words, a servant state, the more powerful king would cut these animals in two, and the weaker king, the lesser king, would be required to walk through them as part of the peace treaty. And it was part of their agreement to each other, essentially saying, whoever break, if this treaty is broken, this is what's going to happen to that lesser king. But there's an interesting twist in what happens with the Abraham covenant. Abraham cuts the animals in two. They are laid out. But it's not Abraham who walks between them. It's God. By all rights, it should have been Abraham who would have to shoulder the burden saying, if this thing gets broken, it's on me. But we get an interesting foreshadowing of things when God is the one that walks between down, you might quite say, the valley of death. I also mentioned another covenant that was broken even earlier in the Garden of Eden. God made humanity into his image to be, be co-workers with him, that we would be servant princes with him and princesses, to work with him hand in hand to be stewards of his creation, caretakers of each other and the world. And yet we decided we wanted to do things our way. Every day we get up, we have that same choice that Eve had in the garden. Am I going to follow my own thoughts of what's right and wrong or am I going to listen to God? Someone needs to make good on the covenant. The covenant is broken and someone needs to uphold it. And this brings us to our passage in Genesis. Abraham had broken just about all of the rules of decency over the years in order to secure his life and have a son. Some of us don't really realize that. But rather than trusting in God to keep his promise, he tried manipulating situations to try to ensure that things would turn out well for him. It began when he first tried to adopt Lot and later another more distant relative, but these were not meant to be. Then later on, as Abraham traveled throughout various parts of the Middle East, he was afraid that someone might kill him for his wife. And I find it 
kind of humorous in a way and interesting. Sarah must have been the most stunning, beautiful woman in all of the world because we know that by this time she's getting up there in years and yet Abraham is still concerned and he says, you know what, whenever I go into Egypt or these other places, they're going to kill me and take you because you're so beautiful. Which it's kind of interesting, I figure at first, Sarah's probably thinking, oh, he's being flattering. Thank you very much. You're, you're saying that I'm so beautiful, you, you would get killed for me. But she has to be careful what she's listening to because he's not saying, I'll die for you. He's saying, instead I want you to say that you're my sister and then let them do whatever they will do to you so that I could stay alive. And I believe that she was probably molested in the process of this. He quite literally offers his own wife up to other kings saying, yes, you can have her. She's just my sister. Um, just don't kill me. Later on, when it seems like God is taking his time on fulfilling the promise of giving Abraham a son, Sarah says, here, take my Egyptian slave Hagar and sleep with her and have a child. Now Sarah herself is complicit. She has essentially voluntarily set up this young woman to be molested by her own husband in order to fulfill his desire to have a child. And then years later, God keeps his promise exactly in the way that he said he would, without any manipulation or any trickery. God has kept his promise, though Abraham probably doesn't deserve it. Abraham has gotten the gift. But now the question stands... After all that Abraham did, does he really love the gift giver more than the gift? Or was he only in it for the gift? Now comes the test. God essentially is saying, do you love me or the things that I give you more? To truly understand God's request, we must understand it in its context. Everywhere in Scripture... God prohibits and disdains human sacrifice. This is a test. I don't believe God ever intended to fulfill or go through with it, but Abraham had to think that he could. This has to be one of the most emotionally gut-wrenching moments in the Bible, second only to the crucifixion, I think, and I think that's intentional, as we will see in a minute. Abraham loves Isaac. More than life, I think. But Abraham has done terrible things in order to get this son of promise. He did things that God never intended him to do. The covenant, for all tents and purposes, is broken before it can even begin. Isaac is taken and, you know, the scripture doesn't really tell us much about the emotions felt by the people involved. It's all told very matter-of-factly. I can only imagine all that had to be going through Abraham's mind as he and, Abraham, he and Isaac silently walked up the mountain. I can only imagine Abraham thinking over and over in his mind, it's, it's my fault. I should have trusted God all along. I should have known that he would have done it just as he said he would.
Isaac is grabbed and bound. And as I said, you must realize that the scriptures are just giving us the facts, not the emotion. I can imagine Isaac begging his daddy, saying, Why? Why, daddy? What's going on? Why are you doing this, daddy? Don't you love me, daddy? I can see Abraham with tears pouring down his face, muttering almost as a question in his mind now over and over again. God will provide. God will provide. Then at the last second, the reprieve. God provides a sacrifice. Abraham has shown his true faith in spite of his previous failures. And God foreshadows what will happen on that night in the upper room. The covenant was still broken. We stand guilty and forfeit. But then Jesus says as he breaks the bread, this is my body. Like the body of the sacrificial animals made at the covenant oath. Then he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Like the blood of a lamb that was flung on the people and on the ark of the covenant. So that they might approach the presence of a holy God and not be destroyed. When we celebrate communion, we profess that Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. He became that which God would provide, broken in our place where we deserved to die. His blood poured out to make us pure that we might enter into the presence of God. Nothing that we did earned it. God fulfilled the covenant of his own free will through Jesus, his son. And notice that the passage in Genesis, if you read between the lines, God told Abraham, you did not withhold your son, your only begotten son, whom you love. God essentially is saying, I won't make you pay the price that you deserve. I will pay it instead. I will give my son, my only begotten son, whom I love. But there is more. Just as communion represents for us Jesus' sacrificial death, it also is a representation of new beginning because we see echoes of communion in the Gospel of John. John is the interesting gospel. You never actually see the Last Supper, the night of the Last Supper. You just see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. But we see signposts to the Last Supper throughout. And one of my favorites is the wedding in Cana. As I said, communion doesn't just represent something that was done in the past for us that we might be forgiven. It also represents a sign of new creation in my theology. When we look at the wedding in Cana, as if we look at it as a precursor to the Last Supper especially, we begin to see the significance of the wine. I don't know just an awful lot about Near Eastern wedding customs in the first century AD. But if they're anything like the customs in our world, I mean, you know, let's say you have a wedding and you're having the wedding reception and party afterwards. If you start running out of food and something to drink before the party's actually over, that probably is not going to be seen as a very good sign 
for the married couple. I can only imagine if you run out of stuff to eat and drink, people are going to start whispering to each other saying, let's see how long this one lasts. So we have this wedding that's taking place, this, this example of something new and joyous being made, and they run out of wine. Now, I'll be honest, they probably drank quite a lot of it at wedding parties back then. Just like some wedding parties today. Running out might have been a bad sign for the marriage. And Jesus provides the wine that was necessary to properly celebrate and affirm this taking of two different creatures, a man and a woman, bringing them together to make a new thing, a family. Because a man on his own is just a man, a woman on her own is just a woman, but when a man and woman are brought together in marriage, something new happens, they become a family. Marriage has great significance in understanding eschatology. I've mentioned that word before. It's a fancy term for the study of end things or end times. The first marriage in Genesis was a signpost pointing to the day that we see in Revelation in the passage that we read today when the heaven and earth are brought together into a new creation. The image that we have in Revelation of a perfect world, not in the clouds, but very real and solid, but without the tears, because the king is finally on his throne. At the wedding in Cana, Jesus brings new wine, better wine than anything they had already had. A signpost that Jesus is making all things new when he would go to the cross and rise again. As we prepare to share in Holy Communion, before we have our traditional liturgy, I want to read from my daughter and son's Bible. In many ways, their translation of the meaning of communion does better justice than I ever could. So with that, let us join with all of the faithful past and present in the sacrament of Holy Communion. servant king. It was Passover, the time when God's people remembered how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt. Every year they killed the lamb and ate it. The lamb died instead of us, they would say. But this Passover, God was getting ready for an even greater rescue. Jesus and his friends were having the Passover meal together in an upstairs room, but Jesus' friends were arguing, what about they were arguing about stinky feet. Stinky feet? Yes, that's right. Stinky feet. Now the thing about feet back then was that people didn't wear shoes. They only wore sandals, which might not sound unusual, except that the streets in those days were dirty. And I don't mean just dusty dirty. I mean really stinky dirty. With all of those cows and horses everywhere, you can imagine the stuff on the street that ended up on their feet. So anyway, someone had to wash away the dirt, but it was a dreadful job. Who on earth would ever dream of volunteering to do it? 
only the lowliest servant. I'm not the servant, Peter said, nor am I, Matthew. Quietly, Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, picked up a basin of water, knelt down and started to wash his friend's feet. You can't, Peter said. He didn't understand about Jesus being the servant king. If you don't let me wash away the dirt, Peter, Jesus said, you can't be close to me. Jesus knew that what people needed most was to be clean on the inside. All the dirt on their feet was nothing compared to the sin inside their hearts. Then wash me, Lord, Peter said, tears filling his eyes, all of me. One by one, Jesus washed everyone's feet. I am doing this because I love you, Jesus explained. Do this for each other. Now one of Jesus' friends had made a bad plan. No one else knew what the bad plan was, but Jesus knew, and so did Judas. Judas was going to help the leaders capture Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Go on, Judas, Jesus said, and Judas got up from the meal and left out the room and walked out into the night. Then Jesus picked up some bread and broke it. He gave it to his, to his friends. He picked up a cup of wine and thanked God for it. He poured it out and shared it. My body is like this bread. It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood. It will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My life will break and God's broken world will mend. My heart will tower apart and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sins and you'll be clean on the inside in your hearts. So whenever you eat and drink, remember Jesus said, I've rescued you. Jesus knew it was time, nearly time for him to leave the world and go back to God. I won't be with you long, he said. You're going to be very sad, but God's helper will come and then you'll be filled up with a forever happiness that won't ever leave. So don't be afraid. You are my friends and I love you. Then they sang their favorite song and walked up to their favorite place, an olive garden. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You have made from one every nation and people to live on all the face of the earth. And so with your people on earth, and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. He commissioned us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. And today his family and all the world is joining at his holy table.
On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, he broke it, gave thanks to you, and said, Take this, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with your church throughout the world and strengthen it in every nation and among every people to witness faithfully in your name. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast in his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. As I said at the beginning of the service, those of you, and there's no pressure if you don't want to take communion, that's fine. But if you'll come forward, if you want to take communion, come forward, I will hand you a communion packet. Please take it back to your seat and receive it, or you can take it with you out afterwards, however. Um, and then there is a trash can on the way out.
of Christ is broken for you. And the blood of Christ is shed for you. Gracious and loving God, as we depart here today, we pray that your blessings go with us, guide us and direct us, help us to be the body of Jesus in the world, that we might go into the world and do your will. Help us to be uh, living sacrifices, to be representatives of the blood your Jesus shed for us, that we might give ourselves, that others might experience your love. We praise you and thank you and ask that you go and bless us till we meet here again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, and go in peace.